You've heard of the butterfly effect. A butterfly flaps its wings on the other side of the world. By the time it gets to us, it's a hurricane. It's the idea that little things can have big consequences. Now, this is especially true about the choices we make when we're young. You see, every decision ripples out into our world and our future in ways that we can't possibly imagine. And we carry them to the end of our days. The choices we're making right now can affect our long-term health, our ability to get a job, our future spouse, our kids, our grandkids, everything. What you do will always be with you. But there is one choice that towers over all the rest. Get it right, and every bad decision you've ever made can be wiped away. Get it wrong, and a lifetime of good choices will one day turn to dust. When you choose to follow the Creator, when you choose to surrender your ways to Him, when you decide to trust Him with your life, you will have figured out the one choice that really matters. Well, good morning. Everybody good? All right, good to hear it. I, I heard about a little donkey that had kind of a tough day, and uh, he was apparently didn't really like to work too much, and his owner got so mad at him that he just, he tried to do everything, and uh, I don't know if he got the donkey whisper or whatever, but he got, he got the little donkey, got so mad, he dug a hole, decided he was going to bury him alive. And you're supposed to go, oh, that's better. And so this poor little donkey was down there, and the, and the farmer just began to take shovels full of dirt and throw it on the little donkey. And every time that dirt would hit that donkey's back, he'd just shake it off, and he'd stomp. And he'd throw some more dirt on it, and he'd shake it off. And he'd what? He'd shake it off, and he'd what? He'd shake it off. Stomp. We got to get this together now. It needs a sequence. He'd shake it off, and he'd stomp. He'd shake it off. Stomp. And before long, that little donkey was on the ground. He had stomped his way all the way out of that hole and on ground. I want you to know that you might feel like that little donkey. Somebody trying to bury you alive, throwing dirt on your back, but you just shake it off and what? Let's try it again. Shake it off and what? Stomp. You're going to stomp. Amen? All right. We're going to talk about the mind of Christ today. This is part two in a two-part series. And... Um, you know, as I began to study this, God just began to give me more and more insight into some things. I'm going to share with you today some things that probably you've not heard before that are going to be pretty deep. I hope you'll take some notes, take note of what we're doing here. Some of the things that I got, I got late. You know, Holy Spirit doesn't always work on my time frame. Have you ever noticed how God doesn't always work on your time frame? And he'll send new information in at the last minute. So these won't be on notes on the screen, but you're going to have them. I'm going to share them with you. We're going to walk through them very, very carefully. Let me tell you something about the mind of Christ that is very, very important. It's this. The mind of Christ, if you have the mind of Christ, you think like God, you will bless at all times. You will bless at all times. Let me tell you why that's important. Jesus said, bless those who persecute you. Bless those who speak evil against you. You see, when you don't bless in those situations, 
you curse the ground that you walk on. And you operate in a kingdom outside of God's kingdom. You operate in a kingdom of this world that only understands the natural consequences of life. When you begin to bless those who really, you maybe you've held some bitterness in your heart against. Maybe they legitimately have done you wrong. But you begin to bless them. You reverse what's going on in you. You see, holding on to something against someone never makes you better. And it never makes them worse. What it does, it makes you worse, and they don't even know what's going on. Now, if they find out you're not blessing them and you're cursing them by your words, what it does, then it makes them worse and everybody is the loser. Here's the second thing I want you to understand. The mind of Christ always sees a positive future. You see, if you have the mind of Christ, you look past the obstacles because you see God. Once you begin to receive from the kingdom of God, you no longer are qualified to operate under the rules of the kingdom of this earth. Let me explain. Once you understand, for example, the law law of sowing and reaping and you see the divine flow come from God, you no longer can look at the natural circumstances as being your flow of resources. You have to always look to God because now you've been entering into a new kingdom, a kingdom that operates by God's rules and not the rules of this world. Let me give you an example. Kingdom of this earth says, I have an obstacle, I have a mountain, and you say, what am I going to do? Have you ever noticed how you go to people and you say, what do you think? You tell them your problem, you say, what do you think? And they'll tell you what you think. Well, you see, there's the first problem. You know, it's not important what they think, it's important what God thinks. God has shown me this, God is leading me this, because I want to operate by revelation and not by reason. So here's a situation. I have an obstacle. I have a mountain in my way. The natural man says, I have a mountain in my way. Oh, my, what am I going to do? In the supernatural realm, the spiritual man, when you operate from the mind of Christ, you say, I have a mountain in the way. This is an opportunity for God to move it out of the way and give me a path through that difficulty. I'm going to operate by those rules. Let me give you a quote from Bill Johnson. I really like this one. He talks about the mind a bit in it. He says, when we submit the things of God to the mind of man, unbelief and religion are the results. So you see, if I only just kind of get it stuck in my mind or into other men, what am I doing is I'm saying I'm going to operate by this idea of religion. I I tell people all the time this, and they just are so shocked. I said, I hate religion but I love Jesus. See, religion is all about man trying to to find God or please God, and the Bible's all about God finding us and, and him loving us, and when he changes our heart, we just fall in love with him. We just can't resist him because we know who he really is. He goes on to say, when we submit the mind of man to the things of God, we end up with faith and a renewed mind. The mind makes a wonderful servant but a terrible master. You ever stayed up late at night worrying, thinking, rolling over, trying to get an option, trying to get an opportunity, trying to figure something out, trying to solve a problem, and the only thing that really ends that, that turmoil is sleep? 
Because you see, your mind was never intended to be the ultimate source for solving your problem. It was always supposed to be God. Whenever you put anything in front of God, and it doesn't mean you don't use your mind, but you use your mind as God would have you use it in the very best possible way, a renewed mind, the mind of Christ. Let me give you a couple of thoughts. Here's the first one. You live under the kingdom that you think about most. You see, if, if the kingdom you think about most is the kingdom of this world, you live under the rules of that kingdom. Remember, every kingdom has a king. That's why it's called a kingdom. And in that kingdom, you have rules that the king determines are going to operate in that kingdom. You have restrictions and you have opportunities in that kingdom. The kingdom of this world has certain opportunities and certain rules. It also has a king that's trying to dominate you. And whether it's media as your king, trying to direct your path or something else, it's directing your path. So you read the headlines, and immediately what do you say? Oh, no, what am I going to do? Look how bad the world is. You're operating by the rules of the kingdom. You think that there's going to be a politician who's going to solve it. You think there's going to be a change in the law. You think something else is going to happen. That's operating by the kingdom of this world. See, the kingdom of God says, no, I am king, and I'm in charge, and if you'll let me, I will direct your path, and I'll lead you down the paths of joy and happiness and blessing wherever you go. Let's go to our scripture for today, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 9 through 12. It says, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love him. In other words, you can't see it with your mind, you can't see it with your eyes, you can't understand it, the things that God has prepared for you, but God has revealed them through his spirit. So how do I understand what God has prepared? By the spirit of God that lives in me. You see, when you come to faith in Christ, God, the Holy Spirit, comes to live in your heart, in your spirit. That enlightens your spirit, man, so that you can see the things of God. And as you begin to love him deeper and richer, he begins to pull back more and more of an understanding of what he's about in your life and in the future. So it goes on to say this, for the spirit searches all things. Do you know the Holy Spirit is always searching He's always looking. He's searching. He's searching in your heart. He's searching in in every heart. He's looking and looking. In fact, the Bible says the eyes of the Lord move to and fro across the earth that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. He's searching. He's searching. He searches deep down in your heart. He's looking for someone to bless, someone to open their eyes to, someone to show them something, something to pull back and show them truth they didn't know before. And it says, yes, the deep things of God. Did you know God has some deep things that he wants you to understand? I want to talk to you a little bit in a minute about the the really deep things, but let's think about this idea of deep. The Bible has many references to it, but it says the deep things of God. So there's some things that some of you, there's some things that none of us in this room see yet. There are some things that some of you see There are some things that none of you see. There are some things that you will never see because you have to have a heart that hungers after the things of God, takes what God shows you and goes deeper still with it because God wants to show you unbelievable things. Now let's go on. 
He says, for what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of man which is in him? Even so, no man knows the things of God except the spirit of God. Now, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. God says you can know something. I have people sometimes say, well, do you, you talk about knowing God. Do you know God? Yes, I know God. How do you know that you know God? I just know it in my knower. I know that I know him. I know that I have met him. What I would do is invite you to know him, then you will know in your knower that you know him, and you can be as confusing to somebody else down the road who doesn't know him. Amen? Amen? I mean, put your hands together. That's true, isn't it? Because there's some things I can't explain. When people say, well, explain God to me, and I said, well, I'll try, but it's going to be confusing. But here's what I do know. I know that he's closer than my own breath. I know that he loves me when I don't love myself. I know that he's redeemed my soul and given me a promise of eternity that I cannot turn away from and I cannot deny. I know that. I know it. I don't doubt that. When I hear people say, well, you know, when I ask them, are you going to heaven? They'll say, I hope so. I don't have a hope so kind of faith. I have a no so kind of faith. And that assurance gives me security. You see, there's, there's a certain level of security if you know that God knows you and he knows you by name. Isn't it welcoming when someone walks up to you and knows your name? It's even more welcome when God knows your name. He knows who you are. He knows you. Now, when God shows you, now hang on to this stuff because we're going to give you some good stuff today. I mean, it really is going to be good, I promise. If it's not, come back next week and we'll give you more, all right? Here's the truth. Truth is an invitation. Truth, when God shows you something, truth is an invitation for a deeper encounter with God. So what's going to happen somewhere along this message or some message down the road, you're going to have one of those moments where God shows you something about yourself or about himself, or about a situation. He's going to give you a little bit of an entrance into that. When that happens, that is an invitation for God to walk deeper still into the supernatural realm. He's not giving you truth so you'll know it in your mind. He's giving you truth because he wants you to have a deeper encounter with him. So he draws you in with a level of truth that stirs your spirit and stirs your mind because ultimately he's not trying to get you super smart or knowledgeable about the things of God. What he's trying to do is have a relationship with you. And, and what he baits you with, if you will, is truth. You see something, you go, wow, I never saw that about God. Or maybe he'll just give you a shadow of something and it makes you so curious that you go home and you take your Bible or you take your prayer time and you seek him out and that's what he wants you to do. He's, he's giving you a bit of just, um, just a tantalizing you with, with, with truth so he brings you in so that you get to know him and love him more. The deep... The deep things of God calls us to pursue the supernatural. The deep things cause us to pursue the supernatural. Now, let me take you to the life of Daniel. Daniel was a prophet in exile. And in exile, God had opened up his mind to see the things that no one could see. 
He spoke of secret things and deep things. He amazed the king. He amazed all those in the kingdom who were called the wise men. He laid a foundation for the kingdom of God that would last hundreds of years. He broke down spiritual barriers and and bondages by the prince that was over Persia in his praying and in his seeing. God gave him things. Look what it says. The secret, then the secret was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. This is more than a dream. This is a vision. There are dreams that happen at night, but there are visions that happen at night. This was a night vision. He was fully awake, and yet he saw something God wanted him to see. Because that's how God works. God opens up the heart and reveals things by his spirit to the mind and the heart of the one who is seeking after him. So it says here, he, that is God, reveals deep and secret things. So he says there are deep things that can only be revealed by God. You cannot find them because you are smart or because you are well-read. You find them because the Spirit of God opens your eyes to them. You might be eight years old and see deep things and be 80 years old and not have never seen a deep thing. Because it has nothing to do with your experience or your knowledge or your IQ. It has everything to do with his spirit. That's why Psalm 119.99 says, you have made me wiser than all of my teachers because thy word has been my instructor. The word can lead you in and bring you in by the spirit to a deeper understanding of God. He goes on to say, he knows what is in the darkness and light dwells in him. God knows, God knows what's in the darkness and light dwells in him. You'll always see in the Bible that light and dark interface. They always butt up against each other. They're always shown as a contrast. Darkness is the absence of light. Black holes in the universe are the absence of light particles. So heavy is the gravitational pull of a black hole that it literally sucks all the light into it and it disappears. Now, what I want to do is I want to take you on a bit of a journey. Here's where we don't have notes on the screen, so if you want to remember this, you're going to have to write it down. I want to take you to Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1 and 2. Back to the very beginning, it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now, I believe there was a gap of time between verses 1 and 2. Because verse 2 begins with these words, and the earth was without form and uh, void, and darkness was on the face of the, there it is, you see it, the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Now, I believe there's a gap of time because Isaiah chapter 45 and verse 18 says, the earth, when God created it, did not create it void and without form. So what has happened in verse 2 is something's happened to God's original creation that caused it to be void and without form. The darkness and the light that is spoken of there is not the light of the sun. That doesn't happen until day 4 of creation in Genesis 1. This is the light of God. This is the darkness of the evil that comes upon man later on in the garden in Genesis chapter 3. 
So we understand there's something going on here that's more than meets the eye. So it tells us here that the darkness was on the face of the deep. Now we understand something about this darkness he speaks of here. The deep is said to have a face. If you look at that word face there in the original Hebrew language, it literally means the face of God. In other words, when you encounter the deep, you encounter the face of God. You encounter the presence of God. It says darkness was pressing against the face of God. What happened between verses 1 and 2 was the fall of Satan. Nowhere in Scripture is it recorded in Genesis, that is, that the, Satan fell, only that he shows up in Genesis chapter 3 and he tempts Adam and Eve. And he's very upset and he wants to pull them into his darkness. What we understand is God created angels before he created man, and Revelation chapter 12 tells us there was a rebellion in heaven, and Satan took a third of all the angels with him in rebellion, and they became demonic spirits that we encounter today. What happened when he was cast out from heaven, he was cast down, and the earth became void and without form, and God began the process of rebuilding what Satan destroyed. That's why he told Adam and Eve to be fruitful, multiply, and replenish the earth because you don't plant, replenish something unless it had already been plenished. It also explains the age of the universe. Some people try to make the universe very young. Actually, I believe it's very old. To say, how old? I don't know, 50 million? It doesn't matter. I have a gap of time. I can explain it by the gap in, I find, in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. It also gives me explanation of where dinosaurs fit into the scheme of God's plan. They certainly weren't showing up in Adam's day, and they weren't on Noah's ark. If they were, they might have gone on two by two, but they ain't getting off two by two. You know what I'm talking about? We're talking that lunch for a couple of those big guys. Now, let me take you over to the book of Job. Turn in your Bible to Job chapter 41. Now, this is all just extra stuff. You didn't pay for this. All right? This is free. This is why we're going to 2 o'clock today. Four visitors just left. Okay, now, Job chapter 41. Now, now, now keep in mind, Job lived at the same time he was a contemporary of Abraham whom you find in Genesis chapter 15, beginning in chapter 12, you see Abraham. So if we took chronologically, put the book of Job, we would put it in the book of Genesis. If you think the book of Job is about suffering, you've missed the point altogether. It has nothing to do with suffering and everything about encountering God. Suffering only becomes a tool to get Job to understand who God is. The most scientific book in the Bible is the book of Job. Now, let me show you something. Job chapter 41 and verse 31, here's what it says. And by the way, the context of chapter 41 is talking about Satan. So I'm getting ready to read you about Satan and how he works. It says in verse 31, he makes the deep to boil. The deep. 
Well, I'm going to explain what the deep is here in a minute. He makes the deep to boil like a pot. He makes the sea like a pot of ointment. He leaves a shining wake behind him. That's why the Bible in 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen says that Satan comes and disguises himself as an angel of light. He appears, and there's a, there's a light stream behind him. You can see the wake of where he's been, but you don't see him because he leaves a shining wake behind him. That's what Job tells us right here. He makes a sea like a pot. He leaves a shining wake behind him. One would think the deep had white hair. The deep, something's happening here. Something's going on in this cosmos we don't fully understand, but we're going to try to explain a little bit more. On earth, there is nothing like him. There's nobody like Satan who walks to and fro across the earth seeking someone to devour. There's no one like him, it tells us. Which is made without fear. He, uh, he beholds every high thing. He is the king of all the sons of, the, of pride. So everyone who is proud, he is king over. It's clearly not God, is it? It's clearly the enemy. Now go with me back a couple of chapters to Job 38 and verse 30. And here's what it says. The waters are hid as a stone. Now this is really an intriguing scripture. What waters are we talking about? We know in Genesis there's some waters talked about there. It says the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. What waters? Up until 1983, astrophysicists were confused about the total mass of the universe. I don't know how one figures and calculates the mass of the universe, how they found out that there wasn't enough there. But somehow in the calculations, they calculated that somehow most of the mass of the universe was unaccounted for until they discovered something. The vast outer space had such a high content of water that when they did the calculations based on the water that is out there in space, in the deep, then they could calculate the absolute matter of the universe. When I read that, I was not surprised because I knew that before the astrophysicists. Because the Bible says in the Hebrew, the Hebrew word for heaven is the word shamaim. It means their waters. The ancient Hebrew knew it was water. In fact, when we send someone to outer space, we call them an astronaut from the Latin, astra meaning star, nautica meaning water, one who navigates through the stars in the water. Einstein theorized that at absolute zero, time stops. When you get into outer space, you're within one degree of absolute zero. It's interesting that when John described heaven where there is no time, he described it as standing before a crystal sea that is a frozen sea. This book has got a lot of depth in it, doesn't it? The waters are hid of the stone and the face of the deep is frozen. That word face there means the face of God or the presence of God. 
And the word there, frozen, is a word that means imprisoned or stuck together. In other words, the deep is frozen or stuck together to where it cannot be penetrated because it is the veil behind which Almighty God hides his glory. Darkness made its move on God. Lucifer, thinking he could overthrow God, was stopped at the face of his presence. It's called the deep. The deep is a mysterious cloak made of dark matter. It emits no discernible light. It shields the light of God's glory that emanates from his throne. That's why when Satan came against God, it made him boil, it made the deep boil because he could not penetrate, he could not take and supplant God on his throne in heaven. God is secure, he is not worried, he is not threatened by Satan or by his enemy. It is not a dualism as we read about in Eastern theology, i.e. Hinduism, where good and evil work behind the scenes together. God is king, he is sovereign, he is Lord, he is in control, he is not worried, he is not shaken, he is not rattled, he is not looking for answers, he has the answer, he is the answer. Amen and amen. The sun pales in comparison to the glory of God, which prevents us from seeing his glory. Should God remove the face of the deep, the light would lose its color. That's why it says in Revelation, in that new Jerusalem, it says we will need, there will be no need of the sun or the moon or the stars, for the Lord God will be our light. And we shall reign with him forever and ever. John pictured that new revelation, that new Jerusalem coming down from heaven, and it says all the gates are open, and outside the gates or all those who do not believe. If you've ever been on a stage that's been brightly lit and the, and the whole house is dark, that's a picture of the New Jerusalem. You as the audience can see what's on the stage, but, the, but on the stage cannot see what's in the darkness. God will place us in his eternal kingdom in the light. We won't see what's in the darkness. Even though the doors are open, those who are evil cannot enter in. All they do is see the glory of God. But it's even worse than that. They don't want to come in. It's always curious to me why when I would talk to people and I would say, don't you want to know God or don't you want to come to church? No, they have no interest in it. You see, you realize that heaven for a lost person is, is more uncomfortable than church is for a lost person. Interesting, isn't it? Interesting things in this book. We have to hurry. You're the slowest listeners in town. <laughs> spiritual truth is taught by the Spirit. You cannot understand spiritual truth by your mind. You can only understand it by your spirit. 1 Corinthians 2.13, these things we also speak not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but the Holy Spirit teaches comparing spiritual things with spiritual things. Now, let me talk to you a little bit about the Holy Spirit and how he works. This may be new to some of you, but I, some of you, you, you're well accustomed to this. But I want to, I want to take, it in, take you into what John said about the Holy Spirit. John 14, 16, I will pray to the Father, Jesus said. He will give you another helper that he may abide with you for how long? 
forever. How long will the Holy Spirit be with you? When does he leave you? Never. Okay. He will be with you forever. He is called the spirit of what? It's on the screen. It's not hard. He's called the spirit of what? Okay, let's try it one more time. It's on the screen and it's not hard. He's called the spirit of what? That's better. I just want to keep you awake here, all right? Whom the world cannot receive. But, you, uh, but it neither sees him or knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you, and he will be in you. He told the disciples before he was crucified, he said, the Holy Spirit is here with you now, but he is going to come and inhabit you. When the Holy Spirit shows up in your house, he does some redecorating. That's what you do when you buy a house. When you move into a new house, you redecorate. You change the color of the walls. You move some furniture in and out. You do some redecorating. When the Holy Spirit comes in you at salvation, he starts redecorating. And we all know about redecorating. We all know about remodeling your home. It takes longer than you think. You thought you'd be closer to God by now, but it takes longer than you think. It's a bigger mess than you ever imagined remodeling your house. Remodeling that house called the temple of God is a bigger mess than you ever thought, and it costs more than you ever dreamed of. So when God is doing the remodeling on the inside, it's going to take longer, it's going to be a bigger mess, and it's going to be more costly than you could ever imagine. Because it it goes on to say here, the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him, but you know him because he dwells with you, he will be in you. Now John 14, 26, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. I'm not your teacher. I can only speak to your mind. Only the spirit of God can take what's in your mind and apply it to your heart. He is your teacher. So you ask, when, you, when you find yourself not knowing what's going on in Scripture, you say, Holy Spirit, would you teach me? Because the promise is he will teach you all things, and he will bring to your remembrance all that I have spoken. So what happens is everything you've heard, everything you've learned, though you've not re- retained it, let's say, in your conscious mind, the Holy Spirit has filed it in your subconscious and in your spirit. And when a situation demands that you access that information or that principle or that scripture, the Holy Spirit will go to the filing cabinet and he will apply it to your life. And that's why you say sometimes, I, don't even knew, I didn't even know that I knew that scripture. You didn't. But he did. He brought it to your remembrance because that's what he does best. When people say, well, I can't remember anything. Well, yes, you can, but whatever you don't, he will. Amen. Now let's go on, John 14, 16, verses 13 and 14, or John 16, 13, 14. When he, the spirit of what? When the spirit of what? He will guide you into all truth. He's going to, you know, he's going to turn you loose and say, over there, get going. He says, would you follow me? And whenever you get out of line, don't worry about it because my rod and my staff, they will comfort you along the journey. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because he's with me. He doesn't send me alone. I will never leave you or forsake you. In fact, I'm going to take you through the valley of the shadow of death, and I'm going to bring you before a table prepared before you, and I'm going to anoint your head with oil. I'm going to fill your cup up with fresh wine, and all your enemies are going to be watching, and they can't get their hands on you. They're going, I want them, I want them. No, I'm sorry, because goodness and mercy shall follow you all the days of your life, and you will dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever and ever. Amen? For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he he hears, he will speak. The Holy Spirit says, oh, oh, you're right, Father. They need that. Oh, you're right. Yep. 
You'll encounter someone, you say, why did I encounter them? Why did they say what they say? Because they're giving you something you need that the Father knew you needed before you knew you needed it, so you'd be ready for it when it came. That's why you have to always listen to the Spirit. Be still and know that I am God. Quit talking. Quit talking. God gave you two ears and one mouth for a reason. You're supposed to listen twice as much as you talk. Amen? Tell that to your friend. Quit talking. All right. It says, he hears what he will speak and he will tell you things to come. You know what the Holy Spirit does? He'll tell you about tomorrow. You ever had one of those feelings where you just go, I just have a bad feeling about that? Listen to it. Listen to that little voice in your stomach. Right? Listen to it. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine. He'll declare it to you. Real powerful Christianity is when you blend the Spirit and the Word of God together. Not when you have just the Word, because that makes you mean. You ever know people that they don't have the Spirit, they just have the Word, and they're always right. You know, I have guys, they always want to argue with me about the Word of God. I go, I I ain't got no argument. Because there's no winning in that. That's why Paul warned about it in Timothy. He said, give up those endless arguments that only eat away like gangrene. Just give it up. Don't worry about it. But the same thing, the Spirit, if if you're always in the Spirit realm and you don't know the Word of God, you don't have the right balance. So here, I like what Paul Cain said. He said, I am convinced the next move of God will bring a marriage between the Word and the Spirit. They both are important, amen? The mind, now watch this, the mind of Christ is a present reality. You can have the mind of Christ today. 1 Corinthians 2, 14 through 16. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit. Natural man means a person who doesn't know God. For they are foolishness to him. In fact, the word there, uh, foolishness in the Greek is the word moroni. It's where we get our word moron. That's why a person without God looks at a Christian and goes, you're a moron. Okay. If you say so. That's why Paul said right before this in chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians, he said, uh, the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved is the power of God unto salvation. That's why Paul said, when I came to you, I did not come to you speaking eloquent words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. You had a power encounter when you encountered God. He said, uh, verse 15, but he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself rightly judged by no one, for who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him, but we have, present tense, the mind of Christ. Now listen carefully to this. The Bible says that God gives his spirit without measure. In other words, there's no limit to how much of a spirit of God he will give you. It's without measure. All the measurement is on our side. In other words, you limit how much of God's spirit is going to control you and direct you and give you wisdom. Because you're all, see, we're all about measurement. God says, no, I have no measurement. I'll give you the depth of everything I have if you want it. He will give you the measure of his presence that you will carefully guard. If you won't guard or steward the Holy Spirit that's in you, he won't give you more of his power, more of his wisdom, more of his insight. He will stop you right there. 
Remember, truth is meant to be what? It's meant to lead you into the supernatural, into his presence, into a better understanding of who he is. He is looking, that is, the Holy Spirit is looking for a person, a church, a city that will host the presence of God faithfully. See, God is never present help in time of trouble. That's what it says in, in the Psalms. Though the mountains quake, though they slip in the midst of the sea, this is Psalm 2, God is in the midst of her and she shall not be moved. The heathen rage. He utters his voice and the, and the earth melts. He breaketh the bow. He burns the chariot with fire. Listen, listen. And then he says this, the God of Jacob is with us. Be still and know that I am God. Kiss the son, S-O-N, lest he turns against you. You carry the atmosphere of heaven with you wherever you go when you walk in the spirit. You may not be aware of it, but there's an atmosphere of God in you. See, can all of God be in you and nobody know it? Sometimes we repel people. Sometimes we attract people. We don't know why. And sometimes it's because we're just obnoxious. (laughs) Amen? But sometimes it's because the Spirit of God in us. The more of the Spirit of God you host and the more of the atmosphere you carry, the more you will attract and repel people. Remember, Remember, if you think nobody likes you, remember, nobody has more critics than God. Everybody's mad at him from time to time, amen? When you change an atmosphere, you change a destiny. When you change the atmosphere that you live in to an atmosphere of heaven, you change your personal destiny because now you're on track with God. When you change an atmosphere of people you're around, they begin to understand God. They begin to find out the destiny that God had planned for them. You see, see, believers are intended to be thermostats. When we turn up the heat, it's supposed to get hot. When we turn it down, it's supposed to get cold. I like when I was in the South, I taught at a, at a seminary down there, and, and uh, I love the, uh, every once in a while you'll hear a little Southern come out of me because I, you know, I grew up a little bit in Georgia and, and then went, uh, we went to a seminary in, in New Orleans. By the way, that's how you know if people have been there. If you say New Orleans, you know you've never been there. <clears throat> New Orleans, <clears throat> got it? And he said this, he, uh, the guy said he was up preaching in a preaching class I taught, he says, when, God's, when God sends tribulation... He expects his people to tribulate. When God sends the Holy Spirit, he expects you to change the atmosphere. A living, breathing, temple, mobile home is what you are. Man, you're a mobile home, and you're moving around. Got the Holy Spirit over there. He's moving. Holy Spirit's on the move. He's moving in you. All right. Two last things, life application. Number one, here's the first one. The redeemed mind overcomes inferior thought. When you walk in a redeemed mind, you will overcome inferior thought that's going to take you down the wrong path. And secondly, you have to choose to think his thoughts. 
Every day you have to choose. I'm gonna, am I going to think the thoughts of God or think the thoughts of Phil? Think the thoughts of God, think the thoughts of Phil. Thoughts of Phil never seem to help. Thoughts of God always seem to help. Amen? Let's stand together. I'm going to ask you to do this right now. We're just going to bow our heads for a moment. I want you to think about the mind of Christ, the redeemed mind that sees things from heaven to earth. Instead of looking like a, a prisoner trapped on earth trying to find heaven, the Bible says you're seated in Christ in heavenly places, far above all principalities and powers, and above every name that is ever named in this age or in the age to come. God says he's given you authority over all things because you're seated in Christ in heavenly places and that you, as a believer, possess the mind of Christ and that, that deepens in your understanding as you seek him, you seek to live that out. You may be living in your mind. You're saved, but you're living in, his, in your mind where trying to rely on your resources. What if you relied on him? What if you could actually think the thoughts of God and see the things that God sees and you could operate with that kind of wisdom and that kind of power? Wouldn't that be radically transformational to your life every day? You might have had a little burst of those once in a while, but what if you could build more consistency into that? You say, I don't even know what that means. That's okay. Remember, truth is intended you to draw you into the supernatural. Just a little bit of a speck of something that's, that gets your mind's attention will drive you into a deeper prayer life, into a deeper study, will cause you to concentrate more on the things of God. Let me ask you this. How many of you today would just raise your hand and say, you know, I really want to operate in the fullness of the mind of Christ? Just raise your hand up. Just, I want to operate in that kind of fullness. Amen. That should be everybody. Amen. I want to operate in that. Okay. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. We're going we're gonna to sing this uh, this chorus, our, our, our band is going to lead us here. Worship leader is going to lead us into this right now. If that was, if your hand was up and you say, I want to do that, you know, there's something about proximity. There's something about being close and just being of one heart, one mind. I'm going to ask you just to slip out when we sing this song. Just come here to the front. Just pack up the front of this area here. We're going to sing this, and then we're going to bless you. We're going to ask the mind of Christ to be over you today. Man, his, his, just think about this song. His name, his character, his presence was always beyond my lips, always beyond my lips. Just ram in here. Get tight. Come on, get in tight. Get close enough where you can get the flu, all right, from, from somebody else. Amen? The right kind of flu, the God flu, amen? The God flu. Let's sing this. Lead us here. On Sing it out. My lips, your praise will ever be on my lips, ever be on my lips, your praise will ever be on my lips, ever be on my lips, your praise will ever be on my lips, ever be on my lips, your praise will ever be on my lips, ever be on my lips, your Ever be on my lips, ever be on my lips, ever be on my lips, your praise will ever be on my lips, ever be on my lips, your praise will ever be on my lips, ever be on my lips, ever be on my lips, your praise will ever be on my lips, ever be on my lips, your praise will ever be
serve a good God. Amen. We serve a good God. You know, this week I really felt like God was going to just wanted to heal somebody this, this Sunday. And I don't know whether it was first service or this service, but I just had it in my spirit all week that we just need to pray for healing, right? Somebody to be healed. And, I, and maybe that's you. And you say, you know what? That's why I came up here. I just needed, I need to be healed. I'm just going to pray for your healing right now. And collectively, we're going to pray, amen? We believe we live in a day of miracles. That there is no limit to what God does. God has not changed. He's the same God as he always was. The God who healed in the first century, that's God who heals in this century, amen? God works miracles. Let me just pray right now. Jesus, I don't know who it is, but somebody in this crowd reminds me of the woman that touched the hem of his garment. She knew she needed to be healed. She was caught up in the crowd, and she accessed the power of God by faith. Jesus recognized and said, I felt the power go out of me. Right now, in Jesus' name, whoever you are, be healed in Jesus' name. Cast off the sickness. Cast off the problem. Cast off the disease. Cast it off. In Jesus' name, you are made whole. Give him the glory. Give him the praise. Know without a shadow of a doubt that it is God who heals. It is God who heals. Thank you, Jesus, that in the atonement, in the cross, you said it is by your stripes that we are healed. We believe. We take your word as it's spoken, as it's written, and we embrace it, and we say be healed in Jesus' name. And all God's people, if you receive it, would you say amen? Amen and amen and amen. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Let's, uh, let me just bless you as we go out and close in prayer. Can I do that? Hey, I want you to remember, you're, you're like a moving, walking Holy Spirit machine. He wants out. Amen? He wants out. Man, let people f experience God. Amen? Amen. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you. May he lift up his countenance upon you. And may you realize the power and the authority you have in the name of Jesus Christ. May you walk in the fullness of joy, the fullness of power. May you know your position in Christ is seated with him far above all principality and power. And every name that is named in this age or in this age, in the age to come, you are more than a conqueror. You are a child of the living God. You are victorious. You are filled with the Spirit of God. And you are going out to influence your world for Jesus Christ, and it's in his name we pray, and we all the people said what? Amen. Amen. Hey, God bless you guys. Have a great day in the Lord, and we will see you next time.